Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, church family, Pastor Kerry here. I hope you're doing well. Way back in 1993, when I was a new believer in college, I got up early one morning and went downstairs to the quiet student lounge in the athlete's dorm where I lived, and I read a passage of scripture that blew me away. So much so that I wrote a note in the margin of this Bible right here, it's my first Bible I ever received after coming to faith in Christ. And I wrote, I wrote a note in the margin on September 1st, 1993. And it simply reads this, Lord, would you help me to believe and understand this? Well, this chapter that I'm referring to, to this day, is still one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And I'd like to share that passage with you today. But before I do, let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I realize that during this year with the pandemic continuing to just drag on, there are many who are discouraged, many who are struggling. Some have lost their jobs. Some have lost loved ones and others have suffered in other ways. Lord, please, would you use this time in your word to encourage us, to remind us of the truths about your love for us, despite how we feel. And Lord, please, would you help us to set aside any burdens that we're carrying right now that might distract us from gleaning everything that we can from this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And as you turn there, let me just uh, give you a little bit of background about this psalm. The, the Psalms, or the Psalter, as it's sometimes called, is in essence a collection of poetry. And amongst the, this poetry, some of the psalms are prayers, personal prayers written to the Lord. Some of the psalms are songs as well, worship songs, and some of them are both. Uh, many of the psalms were written by King David, and they're all rich in theology, very rich, and some are deeply personal. Psalm 103 is what many scholars consider or classify a thanksgiving psalm. Uh, meaning, in Psalm 103, David is telling his own soul to praise the Lord for the many benefits that come from knowing Him. If you would follow along with me as I read the first five verses. Uh, David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, 
who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Here's the first point on your outline. And if you don't have an outline yet or a worksheet, I want to encourage you to go to our website and download the PDF that's next to this uh, message link so you can follow along with me. It gives you a basic structure of the passage that we're studying today. Here's the first point, and that is this. The Lord is unbelievably merciful. That's what I think David is saying here. The Lord is unbelievably merciful. Where he says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Please notice that David begins a conversation with his soul in which he he basically says, Soul, I want you to listen up. I want you to worship the Lord. And if you find anything else down there in my body that's not worshiping the Lord, tell it to worship the Lord too. That's, That's what I think he means when he says, and all that is in me. Uh, Tell them to worship the Lord. So in doing so, David, what he's doing is he's leading his emotions instead of letting his emotions lead him. Now, why should our souls bless the Lord? Well, David gives us three reasons for that. And this would be letters A, B, and C in your outline. First of all, we should bless the Lord because He forgives. He forgives. Uh, David says in verse 3, Bless the Lord who forgives all your iniquity. Uh, Iniquity is one of a few words used throughout the Scriptures uh, for sin. And the Hebrew word, interestingly, that Jews for iniquity uh, refers to the perversity, guilt, and consequences that come from our sin. Forgiveness, which is referenced here in verse 3, whether it's transacted between a sinner and the Lord or between two sinners, forgiveness is a decision to release a repentant person, they have to be repentant, from the moral liability of their sin. And it's a commitment as well to be reconciled to them. This is what the Lord does for the person who repents of their sin and chooses by faith to trust in Christ alone for their salvation. The Lord is willing to forgive sins of omission and commission, sins that were intentional and unintentional, as well as sins that we've done in private and sins that we've done in public. He doesn't have to but He's willing to if we'll take responsibility for our sin. Here's the second reason David gives us for blessing the Lord, and that is, uh, letter B, He heals us. He heals us. Uh, In verse 3, at first glance, it appears to be referring to physical healing. However, it's actually much better than that. It has actually two meanings, this healing of diseases. Um, First, this phrase is a picture of spiritual healing. Uh, There are some places in the scripture that use disease to metaphorically refer to sin. And healing as a metaphor for the restoration 
from the adversities or consequences that our sin causes. Secondly, the second meaning of this phrase, healing, he heals our diseases, is that it's a preview. It's a, it's a, it's a look forward of the physical healing that Christ's followers will receive at the resurrection when our bodies are completely restored to their original condition. So, he heals us, he forgives us, letter A, he heals us, letter B, and letter C, he redeems. He redeems. Notice in verse 4 how uh, it says that he redeems your life from the pit. Now, the Hebrew word for pit that's used here in, in the text uh, refers to a grave. And I think redeeming your life from the pit describes how the Lord rescues unbelievers from a spiritual death in hell and redeems the mess that sin made of their lives. Uh, Jesus is able to take our old life and turn it into something good because he's merciful. Because he's merciful. Well, let's read the next uh, set of verses, verses 6 through 10. Follow along with me, if you would, in your Bible. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. And he does not deal with us according to our sins, and nor repay us according to our iniquities. Here's a, number two on your outline. The second truth that I think David's telling us about God's love. And that is, the Lord is unceasingly loving. He's unceasingly loving. Just as the worship song, One Thing Remains by Passion Band says, in the song we've sang in our worship services, His love never fails. It never gives up and it never runs out on me. Well, the Lord's love is unceasing. Uh, he unpacks this a little further for us in more detail. And so here's letter A on your outline. Uh, David says the Lord's love is incomparable. It's incomparable. Please notice uh, in verses 8 through 10 how unhuman the Lord's love is. Uh, so, for example, in verses 8 and 9, David starts by reminding us that the Lord is slow to anger. This means that unlike short-tempered humans, the Lord has a long fuse. And we're told he will not always chide. Chide is a synonym for accusing or to accuse someone. And so unlike in human relationships, the Lord does not constantly accuse and criticize. And if he does get upset with his people because of their sin, he does not, according to verse 9, Keep his anger forever. Notice then in verse 10, boy, it's verse 10 is just, I could spend a whole sermon on verse 10 by itself. But in verse 10, if you are ever having a dark day in which you find yourself questioning the Lord's goodness, or maybe find yourself thinking, what, what has God done for me lately? All you need to do is open your Bible up to Psalm 103, verse 10, and read it. He does not deal with us according to our sins. 
It means that when your lifetime sin odometer reached 100,000 100, sins yesterday or last month or five years ago, not only did the Lord allow you to keep breathing, He also did not dole out an immediate punishment for your sin. That kind of love is incomparable. Next, if you would, look at uh, verses 11 through 13. David continues to describe God's love. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So here's uh, letter B on your outline. David's telling us the Lord's love is immeasurable. His love is immeasurable. Did you notice David's attempt to use language that is finite to describe something that's infinite? Uh, for as high, as high as the heavens are above the earth. Well, how high is that? Well, no one actually knows because no one can measure it. Even in this post-space age time we live in, and all the research that scientists have done on space, and they're still doing, no one still knows how deep space is. In the same manner, no human can fully grasp how high, how deep, how wide, or how long God's love is. We're told in verse 11 then that so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Well, this is the first of three conditional statements that David makes in this psalm. He repeats this phrase, those who fear him, in verses 13 and 17. It fences or distinguishes who gets the benefits listed in this psalm from those who do not. These benefits are not for everybody. The love of God is not reckless. It's reserved. Reserved for those who have a covenant relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, Psalm 103 serves as both an incentive for unbelievers to give their hearts to Christ, and it serves as an encouragement for those who already have. And that's why I've titled this lesson, The Conditional, Unconditional Love of God. And so, the Lord's incomparable, immeasurable love is only, it's only available to those who have a personal relationship with His Son. Now, the Lord's love is incomparable because no one else in the universe loves like He does. He demonstrates this by first limiting His wrath as we saw in verses 8 through 10, it's also immeasurable because he chooses not to place any limits on his love. Now let's pause the video and I'd like you to talk about this discussion question for a moment. Why and when do we doubt God's love for us? Why do we do it and when are we most prone to doing it? If you would talk about that and I'll be right back in a moment.
I think the simplest, broadest answer uh, for this question is the fact that we are sinners. Our inherited sin nature makes us prone to doubt God's love and goodness towards us. We see this in Genesis 3, when the serpent was able to get the woman to believe God was holding out or withholding good from her in the garden. We often doubt God's love for us when He isn't giving us what we want when we want it. This, too, can be tied back to our sin nature. We can be, let's just be honest, we all can be like toddlers who cry out to God, if you loved me, you would give me what I want. Therefore, because you won't, that means you don't love me. Now, I think there's hope and some encouragement here for us in the text, and I want to make sure I bring to your attention. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 is the famous verse where John writes, God is love. Now, although John was only speaking about one facet of God's character, I think he was also saying love is such an integral part of his character that it's impossible to separate love from his identity. And because love is such an integral part of his character, that means everything God does is in love. Thus, when he answers our prayers, it's in love. And when he doesn't answer our prayers, it's also done in love. When he gives us more than we deserve, it's in love. And when he requires more than we think we can give, it's in love. When he heals our broken heart, it's in love. And when he allows our heart to be broken, that's also done in love. And when he rewards obedience to his word, it's because he loves us. And when he gives us consequences for our disobedience, that too is because he loves us. Well, let's continue working our way through the passage. If you would, look at verses 14 to 17 with me. David writes, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. His place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. There's that phrase again. And His righteousness to children's children. Here's uh, number three on your outline. The third truth I think David's trying to tell us about the Lord and His love. And that is, the Lord is uncommonly understanding. He's uncommonly understanding. We see here David referencing the eternal nature of God's love in the previous verses. And then what he does is, in essence, by doing so, he magnifies God's love by contrasting it to the temporal existence of man. So what do I mean by that? Well, notice he says that we are like grass. We, we're, we're like a flower of the field. Uh, 
We're, we're made from dust. Well, what this means is that if we were to die in a house fire or if we're cremated after death, all that remains of our bodies is a pile of dust. Or if our body is buried in a casket after we die, after years of decomposition, all that will remain is a pile of dust. And because the Lord knows this, He takes into consideration our frailty and weakness when relating to us. You'll notice in verses 15 and 16, He also understands our transience in light of eternity. Our lives are like a blade of grass that springs up quickly, but then withers and blows away. Or as James says in his famous verse in James 4.14, we are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. A mist that shows up in the morning fog and then is gone. That's what our lives are like in the span of eternity. This is just one of many reasons the Lord not only invites, but also puts us into positions in which we have to be dependent on Him. Because when we are dependent on Him, we are closer to Him. And that's what He wants. Well, despite our frailty and fickleness and weakness and transience, the Lord's love is steadfast and eternal. We see that in verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting. That's a phrase used in the scriptures to refer to the eternality of God's character. And in this case, David's using it to refer to the eternality of God's love. Next, look at uh, this final section, verses 20 to 22 with me. And follow along with me as I read. David says, Bless the Lord, O you, His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, here's, here's number four in your outline, the last point. And that is, the Lord is worthy of our unconditional worship. The Lord is worthy of our unconditional worship. As David closes this pep talk to his soul, he concludes the best response to all the truth that he just shared is for all of creation, including the angels in heaven, to worship the Lord. And then he closes the psalm with the same declarative that he started out with. Bless the Lord, O my soul, talking to himself. This means that even when we're weary, when we're worried, when we're afraid, when we're lonely, when we're disappointed or mad that God isn't doing what we want him to do, he's still worthy of our worship. Because he still hasn't stopped loving us. And David says that alone is enough reason to keep worshiping him. Now let's pause the video one last time and I'd like you to talk about this discussion question. And that is, how is the love of God described in Psalm 103 different than how people love? How is God's love different than man's love? Talk about that, and I'll be right back.
Well, one of the first differences that I thought of is how human love is so often driven by emotion, whereas God's love is maintained by a decision. He loves us regardless of how he feels about us in any given moment. I mean, can't we just stop and praise the Lord that he's not moody like we are? Now, this logically leads to another distinction. Man's love is conditional, whereas God's love is unconditional. There's no prerequisites for God's love for us. Next, another thought that came to my mind is that man's love is also self-centered. However, when we look at the gospel story, we can see that God's love is sacrificial. Jesus himself said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Well, this brings us to a couple of applications. We we're called by God's Word to be doers of the Word, not just hearers. So how can we apply the truths that we talked about here in Psalm 103? Here's the first one that comes to mind. I want to encourage you to speak Scripture to yourself instead of listening to yourself. You've heard me point out in this psalm that David is talking to himself, to his soul, because he recognizes how his own sin nature influences his emotions. David reminds himself of who God really is in the Scriptures. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a famous Welsh minister whose heyday was in the mid-20th century. And uh, in his book called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure, uh, Dr. Jones famously says why talking to ourselves is important. And he writes this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? David shows us, according to Dr. Jones, in the Psalms, that instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking back to himself. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. And that's Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' uh, take on Psalm 42, which is a depression psalm, and I think the same thing happening here in Psalm 103. In other words, David led his emotions instead of letting his emotions lead him. He didn't see himself as a helpless hostage to his emotions. Instead, he realized his thinking should determine the way he feels. Instead of the way he feels determining his thinking. Well, here's a second application for you. I want to really urge you to remember that God's character is dependable when his ways seem illogical to us. Countless saints throughout the centuries have questioned the love of God because of his action or inaction. And you're not alone. Uh, you only need to look at uh, Psalms 13 and 22 and 25 and several others to see that David had seasons like this where he questioned the love of God. Not only, though, is God's love higher than the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts and plans. 
Isaiah reminds us of this in Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. This is where Isaiah famously writes, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, when His ways are not making sense to us, we need to remember that there are many things that the Lord does that we won't understand until we're with Him in eternity. However, His character is still dependable. Well, if you've struggled to understand the love of God, again, you're not alone. I have, and many other saints throughout history have. I want to recommend that you pick up a copy of this book here. R.C. Sproul wrote a book a few years ago that unpacks the love of God from the Scriptures. The book is simply called God's Love. It not only addresses the many facets of God's love, but also how God's love coexists with His holiness. It also contrasts God's love with God's hatred, as well as expositing the most popular love passage in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. If you order a copy of God's love from your favorite online bookseller and read it, I'm confident you'll be encouraged. Speaking of encouragement, here's your weekly verse of encouragement. It comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, where Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think, I think Paul pretty much covered everything that we could think would separate us from the love of God, don't you? I mean, I don't think he left anything out there. I want to encourage you to let Psalm 103 and Romans 8, 38 to 39 strengthen your soul this coming week. Well, thanks for tuning in, and please know that I am praying for you, and I am cheering for you. I can't wait to worship with you again soon. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.